Do you believe in ghosts? Good morning, evening, or afternoon, whenever you're listening. It's the wonder of podcasting, and we are Ghost Stories, the podcast coming back to you. Uh, Before we get down to business, first and foremost, I want to apologize to our Patreon listeners. I thank you for your patience. Uh, Technical issue caused this episode to be a day late, but the wonderful thing for non-Patreon listeners is if it's late for Patreon, it's uh, generally still going to be on time for you because they do receive everything early, and if that's something you're interested in, go over to our Patreon page, and I guarantee 99% of the time you will get the episodes a few days earlier than anywhere else where you can listen and they will be completely ad free uh but yeah let's get down to business this week's story it's uh it's a pretty good one it's very unsettling and it was sent over to a listener of ours named janine and she actually runs a blog and a facebook page called janine's ghost stories where she uh writes many spooky stories and this is just one of them uh some of them similar to our our podcast are, are kind of based in fact in or fiction um so she she enjoys sending me stories and asking me to guess which uh which uh, i think they are and uh we've actually got a few lined up to to appear on the podcast so janine thank you for for sending them over we really Really appreciate uh, you being a fan of us um, and listeners I, I encourage you before we heard, hear the story of hers uh, to go over and look for Janine on Facebook so you can find her by simply searching Janine's ghost stories at the moment her picture is of a pumpkin and uh, you'll be able to read a few of her stories there and get links to her blog I, I highly recommend it it's some really good stuff so yeah the story sent in this week is is very spooky quite unsettling and when I saw it, I knew I had to put it on the podcast eventually and um it's so spooky, actually, and unsettling. My wife heard it. She's the one who helps me prove these things. She found it. Uh, she just at the end went, that was horrible. <laughs> she uh, She's not a fan of, of spooky things. Um, so it was horrible in all the right ways, I guarantee. So you, you will enjoy it if, uh, if you particularly like a, a scary story. Uh, with that in mind, I will warn you, this one is a bit more unsettling than usual. So any younger listeners out there, just beware. Um, maybe be ready to hit that pause button if it gets a bit too intense. But yeah, that's it. So sit back and I hope you enjoy The Boy. I often ask myself what makes something truly scary. Is it the visual side of things such as blood and guts and and gore, or more the psychological, like things that go bump in the night. You know, things that make you want to run and hide under your blanket, like you would when you were a little kid. Well, for me, it's when something seems especially real, like you could imagine yourself actually in the situation. The problem is, so many stories could easily be rationalized. One example, maybe the witch that lived in an old abandoned shack at the end of the road, who cursed people and ate small children. She could be nothing more than an old spinster who grew grumpy with old age and just had no time for people anymore. But what about ghosts? And I don't mean wailing ghouls with shackles and chains or angry poltergeists who throw things about. I mean actual ghosts. And the reason they scare me so much, well, I imagine it's because I've seen one. See, when I was a kid, we lived in a rambling old cottage right in the middle of the countryside. The cottage itself we lived in was picture perfect, as was the village, really. And my dad, well, he was the village policeman, and my mum was the head teacher at the small primary school nearby. 
It was so small there was two-year groups in each class, and everyone knew everyone else and their family. It was actually quite nice, but if a little boring at times. Well, when I was about 10, a new boy started in our school. This was almost unheard of because no one typically left the village and therefore no one would move in, let alone having a random 10-year-old suddenly uh, appear. But he did, and it turned out it had been a bit of a scandal in our sleepy home. So one of the men had been at university about 11 years beforehand. He'd met a girl and begun a relationship. You know, that type of thing. She'd fallen pregnant, but not told him. And she decided to split and return to her parents. And she had the baby on her own. Now, he tried to contact her from time to time, still unaware, but just presumed there was an affair and it was over and carried on with his life, eventually graduating and, of course, returning to the village. He never heard from her or her family again. That was until recently. It appeared that his name had been on the boy's birth certificate, unbeknownst to him, and after a tragic accident in which his mother and grandparents died, social services tracked him down and uh, in an obvious state of shock, he had done the only right thing, and the boy had now come to live with him. I liked him immediately from the moment I met him. Of course, everyone wanted to be his friend. He was, he was a quiet boy to start with, and as kids, we didn't know the full extent of what happened in his life, but we knew his mom had died, so he'd come to live with his dad. You know, I, I wasn't a very worldly wise 10-year-old, and I just accepted this and decided not to ask any more of him. He was also very clever. Despite being one of the youngest in the year six half of the class, he was by far one of the most able students, which made what they later said happened seem even more hard to believe. You see, just a few months after he came into our lives, he vanished. First, it was presumed that he'd run away and tried to go home, back to where he'd lived before. As a local police officer, my dad led all the initial inquiries. There wasn't any major concerns at this point. They just wanted to find him and bring him home safely to the village. But there's no trace of him. Dad liaised with the police there, and numerous checks of his old house, school, and friends were made. But no one had seen or heard from him. Next, the search of the trains and buses, but none of the conductors, drivers, or passengers remembered him. Now you need to remember, this was a 10-year-old boy in the late 1980s. He didn't have a mobile phone. There wasn't email, Snapchat, WhatsApp, or any of that type of social media. He hadn't left a note to say where he was going, and no one had seen him leave. It was November, and very, very cold. They began to worry more and more. Extra officers were brought in from the neighboring villages and towns. Everyone was spoken to. When did you last see him? Did he ever mention running away? Had he told you any secrets? Was he unhappy? As far as the father knew, he hadn't had any access to money. He hadn't gone without. They lived in comfort. He was asked if he ever needed anything. His, his pocket money went straight into his bank account. Only the father could access. If he had somehow traveled out of the village, it was more likely by hitchhiking. So posters went up. There was an appeal on the radio and TV. More important-looking police and suits arrived and more questions were asked. Houses, sheds, barns, they were all searched. Rivers, streams, woodlands searched as well, but to no avail. He seemed to have just disappeared, without a trace. And when that sort of thing happens in a tiny, God-fearing, law-abiding village, people get very afraid. As far as they're concerned, there aren't any murderers or child molesters here. So someone must have come to the village and taken him. Doors were locked. Children, 
not allowed to play outside on their own. Everyone was frightened it could happen again. But it didn't, which may seem even more suspicious to someone. Maybe they had too much time in their hands, or maybe quiet, mundane life starves the imagination until something remarkable happens. But suddenly, there was talk of a sinister cause for his disappearance. Now the boy, who seemed interesting and intriguing to us kids, apparently had a dark cloud surrounding him. According to the grown-ups, his past was shrouded in mystery. What exactly had happened in that so-called tragic accident that had killed three people? Again, without the internet, it was pretty hard to find out any information. The accounts in the newspapers had been extremely vague and provided no extra juicy details. My dad tried to access the uh, police files, but found to his frustration they had suspiciously been lost. What on earth had really gone on? The father knew nothing more. He had only the brief conversation with social worker, who was clearly overworked and underpaid and just glad to be able to find a home for the child so quickly. And my mother, as the head teacher, had tried to contact his old school, see if there was any files or anything that they needed to know. But again, she was thwarted. In an age where files were handwritten, it was claimed some information had been sent to her, but must have been lost in the post. They hadn't kept any copies, and couldn't remember anything remarkable about the child. And so, with no further leads and nothing to go on, the inquiries began to slow down. He was by no means forgotten, and the missing posters remain on lampposts, but other things happened in the sleepy village to take up police time. Life, well, it just moved on. I just couldn't shake the idea that someone must know something, that a human being doesn't just vanish into thin air. He was smart, he wouldn't have just run away in the middle of the night in winter with no money. He hadn't taken anything with him, the only thing missing from his room was his PJs, which he was supposedly wearing. He wouldn't have lasted long in the freezing cold, in just pajamas and no shoes. They had thoroughly searched the local area and found no sign of footprints or anything that looked like there'd been a sign of struggle. So what could have possibly happened? It'll come as no surprise to learn that not long after he disappeared, I began to have these unusual dreams. They were so lifelike that I often woke up thinking they were real. Every night it was the same. He was near. He was trapped and couldn't get out. He was calling for help, but I couldn't get to him. His surroundings looked so familiar, but I just couldn't quite place where he was. Then he seemed to fall and keep falling. He was now so far away there wasn't anything I can do. His face was fixed in a frozen scream. And finally, just before I woke up drenched in a cold sweat, he would point at me and say, You know. I didn't tell anyone about the dreams. We didn't have school counselors or people to talk to about feelings and stuff back then. You shared stuff with your mates or kept it to yourself. And I wish I had now. Maybe it wouldn't have been too late. And maybe I wouldn't have been the one to find him. It was exactly one month after it disappeared that I noticed a slightly funny smell in the house. Being an old cottage in a rural village, our home had a big open fire in the lounge. And some antiquated excuse for radiators upstairs. That particular day my father was at the station and my mother had attended a meeting at the school. I'd moaned and groaned enough that they agreed to let me stay home alone. 
but I was locked in the house and was to call if there's any sort of trouble. There's a week for Christmas and all I want to do is just chill out and read some books. I'd come downstairs from my bedroom and it was ridiculously cold up there. I walked into the lounge with my book and sat down next to the hearth, hoping that it would warm me up. But I still felt chilled to the bone. Despite the flames crackling, I could see my breath. There was an old storage cupboard near the stairs with coats and boots and other assorted junk. As I went to it to grab a blanket to stop the shivers, I caught a whiff of a horrendous smell. I thought maybe the cupboard was damp or one of the wellies had something on it, but I didn't. It didn't smell like dog poo or mud or anything like that. It was more like rotting meat. There are plenty of farms around the village, and one day while still walking, we came across a sheep that had been mauled by a fox. It had been there a few days, and in the summer, I, I remember heaving and gagging over the smell and the sight of maggots and flies. But why on earth was the horrendous smell of gone-off flesh in my house? Suddenly out of nowhere I heard a noise. It was very hard to describe as I'd never heard anything like it before, and I hope to God I never do again. It was a raspy type gasp, like I'd imagine perhaps a heavy smoker would make with a chest infection. And it came from right behind me, at the exact same time, although I was already cold, the temperature plummeted again, as if I was outside in the snow and ice. My heart was racing. I don't know what I thought might have happened. To be honest, I was too scared to form any rational thoughts at all. I stood there for a moment rooted to the spot. I willed myself to turn around but just couldn't yet. Then I heard the noise again and this time felt breath from the air just behind my shoulder. Although I was absolutely petrified, somehow I managed to turn around. From this day it's hard to tell you exactly what I saw, but he was right there, right in front of me only it wasn't quite him. He didn't seem whole. Whilst I should have been ecstatic to see my friend back, potentially safe and sound, I knew it wasn't him. Not anymore anyways. I wasn't... He wasn't see-through. He wasn't floating. He didn't leave a trail of ectoplasm. But he definitely wasn't human now. I felt sick to my stomach, and I'm not afraid to say that I may have, you know, peed a little... The absolute worst of it was his throat and his eyes. Now, although his skin had been a warm coffee-like color in life, it looked like old dishwater now, which made the bruises and swelling of his throat stand out even more. And his eyes, those lovely dark cheeky eyes which were meant to have had all the girls running after him in a few years, well, they were wide and could be popping up from his head, and almost entirely red from blood in them. He or it. He turned and pointed to the door. Help, I think he said, although it came out sounding like Grandpa when he forgets to put his false teeth in. The door he was pointing at was to the cellar, which was strictly off limits, 100% access denied. It was never used, despite no-go areas usually attracting kids like a moth to a flame. Being the child of a policeman and head teacher meant I did what I was told. I never, ever had been down there. My parents claimed it was unsafe. There was mold and rats and it was dark and even flooring. The door was always locked. Since I was already at the height of terror, there was nothing else to lose. What would a few red-eyed rats and mold sports have over what stood in front of me? But there was still the issue of the door being locked tight and I had absolutely no idea where the key would be. For some reason, I decided to try the knob just in case and to my utter surprise, the door slowly opened. 
The smell was enough to knock me backwards. I quickly grabbed the flashlight from the coat cupboard and with one arm over my mouth and nose, began to head down the steps. I was careful as each step seemed to threaten to give away and plunge me further into the unknown, but I made it to the bottom. The light must have been on a low battery, as it only emitted a pathetic beam of light. You can believe it, it was even colder down here. I'm talking like Antarctic cold, like I could honestly believe I could freeze to death if I was down there more than a few minutes. I heard the guttural gasping noise again and knew he was right there behind me. I could barely see a thing and could just make up the shape of his body over by the far wall. He seemed to be slumped over, looking at the floor. Help. Summoning every single last bit of courage and strength, I walked over to see what, what he was referring to. I hadn't thought my terror could have gotten any worse, but that sight drove it to fever pitch. I retched and threw up and turned back and fled up the stairs as fast as I possibly could. My mind was racing. My eyes were stinging with tears and my stomach was disgusted. I threw up again all over the hall carpet. My first instinct was to run to the police station and tell my father. I honestly thought somehow the boy must have broken into our house in the cellar and somehow crushed his own throat so it looked like it had been flattened. I mean, you could strangle yourself, right? Right? Is... <laughs> But something stopped me. I remember my father, he said that he'd done all that he could. It was now just a matter of waiting for new evidence, but that he was positive he had run away. How the police files from the old home had mysteriously been lost. How my mother had reassured me that it was fine to be left alone in the house as nothing else bad was going to happen in the village. How her files had been conveniently lost in the post. Suddenly, as though... The boy was somehow able to control my mind like a TV remote. A set of pictures formed in front of my eyes. My father reading a file, a file about a boy, reading that the accident was not an accident at all. Just that there was no evidence a 10-year-old boy could cause such devastation or how. But the social services had been deeply concerned for something that wasn't right with him. My mother tearing open a thick envelope from his previous school for a full of worrying stories about inappropriate behavior and horrific pictures that the boy had drawn, my parents looking at each other, watching me play with the boy. The night he went missing, my father sneaking into the boy's house, the boy waking but not being frightened of seeing a policeman, my father putting his hand over the boy's mouth, knowing that the man in the house was a very deep sleeper, the boy being carried out unconscious into my house, my mother opening the cellar door, carrying him down laying him in the far corner, pressing hands around the boy's throat whilst he gasped and gagged, and his eyes grew more and more bloodshot as each breath left his body. My mother covering him in quicklime, his body slowly rotting away, the process being sped up by the chemicals and the rats and the smell being masked until now by the cold. I now knew what happened why he'd come back to show me and what he wanted me to do next. See, he had been a troubled child, but it hadn't been his fault. His mother had despised and resented him. He'd been subject to horrific abuse at her hands and his grandparents had stood there and did nothing. The horrific pictures he drew, depictions of what she did to him, inappropriate stories, tales of things she did and how he would like to do things to her, to get rid of her and escape her evil. Had he caused the accident? Yes. It was the only way to get rid of them forever. Was he going to do something terrible again, repeat the cycle of abuse? 
Well, he didn't think so. He wanted and needed a fresh start, and it was just the beginning to settle into a normal life. But my parents were terrified of what he might do to me. So they took matters into their own hands. Now, unfortunately for me, he was going to make them pay in the only way he knew how. I walked blindly over to the open cellar door and felt a sharp push in my back, enough to shove me face first down those winding, brittle steps. One finally gave away and crumbling beneath my feet, down to the very bottom, where I fell awkwardly and instantly broke my neck. Which is where my parents found me an hour later, my head facing the wrong way, a frozen look of fear forever on my face. So the reason ghosts scare me so much, why well, know they're real? I am one. Well, how about that? I told you that was quite an unsettling and spooky story, but I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, once again, I want to send out a thank you to Janine from Janine's Ghost Stories uh, for writing that one for us. Uh, like I said, we've got a few more stories of hers coming uh, that we need to, to record and, and, and pull together, but uh, they're they're all fantastic. And uh, if you like that story, make sure to go and give her Facebook page a like, which is Janine's Ghost Stories. Simple as that. She's got a few pictures of pumpkins as the, um, the images there, so it's dead easy to find. I actually think we've linked to her as well from our page before. So uh, if you're not a fan, make sure to go hit that like button. And while we're talking about hitting buttons, at the same time, if you enjoy the podcast and you're not following us, well, what are you thinking? Go and hit subscribe. And if you have subscribed and you've not reviewed us, what are you thinking? Go and uh, drop us a five-star review, 10-star review, whatever the max stars is. Hit that button and tell us how much you love the podcast. We had, we've had we had so many reviews and we love hearing from all you fans of the podcast. It actually really keeps us going. You know, this is very much a, a passion project. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not breaking the bank by making it, you know. So it, when we hear how much... Uh, you listeners enjoy the stories it really it, it really makes makes me feel great and, and makes me want to keep pushing these out of course if you want to make this more than a passion project and, and, and try and support us uh, you know at the moment we do stories every fortnight and uh, can be a bit lax with deadlines sometimes uh, but eventually to we would love to make this a, a weekly show maybe even more than that all year around other than just the nine months we do it and uh, you can do that by going to Patreon and dropping as little as a buck. You'll get episodes early there. You'll get them ad-free. And then when we hit a certain target, we will be going pretty much full-time with the podcast. Uh, but if you're not keen yet, keep an eye out because I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, it might make people want to wait. I'm having to think right now about doing some special offers in January uh, for existing. We'll, we'll probably do it for existing subscribers as well. Well, we'll have to. You know, <laughs> you guys have got us to this point as well. Uh, but keep an eye out for those because um, I- I'm trying to get my my thoughts together for some pretty cool things. So make sure to keep an eye on the Patreon page if you're interested in that type of thing. Um, otherwise, I think that's enough for me. I've been. I've been rambling for a good a good few minutes now. I could ramble all night, but this has been a particularly long episode. So I hope you all enjoyed it. Again, I reiterate, drop us a like, a follow, and go over to Janine's Ghost Stories and do the same. And don't stop asking. Do you believe in ghosts? ghosts?